Hey Joe, and here we are for another week, and I'm starting to feel a little bit like Hans Gruber at the end of Die Hard here, just hanging on. <laughs> Falling off into the dark, money flapping around your head. I mean, who's left with the last man not injured? Turn the lights off. Carnage again. I feel like we're just we're watching NFL B teams line up against one another. That's even when the games do go ahead. Mate, the B teams got injured a few weeks ago. We're down to like <laughs> players who drive the practice squad players to the practice. It's honestly, we're probably two weeks away from open trials, I reckon. <laughs> yeah, the replacements. It's time for that. Yeah, absolutely. So another long list of injuries. COVID, as we spoke about last week, threatened one game. They managed to push that back to Monday night, but the Steelers game got postponed. So this week is the first week where we see some actual planned bye weeks, but of course we had the unexpected bye week for the Steelers. Yep, and we'll get onto that when we talk about those games uh, a little bit later. So let's jump right into this because I think more talk of COVID and injuries is just going to be depressing. Quite an interesting week last week for scores, a few upsets, so... Let's get into the games and let's talk about the first game that's going to be upcoming on the Thursday night, which is the Buccaneers against the Bears. So, as we predicted, the Bears finally lost. They had no business being an own free team, reverting to form. But, I mean, Tom Brady, he was playing vintage Brady. That game between the Buccaneers and the Chargers, really, really enjoyable game. We had a bit of an argument after this one, Charles, didn't we, me and you? Yeah, around Herbert, yeah. I think that Herbert is, in the terminology that we used, uh, legit, and Charles challenges the term. Yeah, I think we had more of a debate over the use of the word legit than we did over how good Herbert was. I mean, I think we both agree he's better than Tarod. He should be starting. He played well. I think he's still making rookie mistakes. He is a rookie, so like that that's not a detriment to who he is going to be. I just don't think, as of yet we can say he's going to be a superstar, in my opinion. No one was saying that he's going to be a superstar, but look, I think that Herbert is legit. He's looking poised. Like, I mean, the Buccaneers' defence has been one of the best defensive units in the league this year. People expected their offence to be effective, but they've been winning games on a strong defence as well. And so to put up, what was it, 31 points they put up against him? I think that's a great performance from a rookie player. And he looks like he should be there. He's playing with poise. He's making big plays. Yeah, he's making the odd rookie mistake. And I mean, no, he made a bad one in his first game. But here's a stat bomb for you. Across three games, the three games that he started, he's thrown for 902 yards. Only one rookie has thrown for over 900 yards in their first three games. And that was Cam Newton. So he's in great company there. Yeah, I mean, the thing that is killing the Chargers' success this season has to be their defense. Yeah, and they're depleted a little bit. I mean, when you lose a player like Melvin Ingram, that's always tough. Their secondary just hasn't been doing it. They've been giving up points. And, you know, Joe Bowes got paid, but you can't build a team around one piece. There's rebuilding to do for that defense. And, you know, what was a very effective defense a couple of years ago, as these things happen, cycles happen, and they're just on a downward swing of that cycle now. Yeah, I mean, that game, the Chargers couldn't stop the run or the pass. I think Jones got something like 111 yards and then Brady went and got five passing touchdowns. So it didn't matter where the Bucks attacked from. The Chargers could, just couldn't get a handle on it at all. And that obviously is going to make it very difficult for the offense because they're out there all the time. Yeah, and this is why I think that maybe Anthony Lynn is kind of slightly 
slightly unfair in how he's going to handle the quarterback situation because by all accounts, when Tyra Taylor does recover from his unfortunate injury, he will be getting a starting spot back again with Anthony Lynn saying that the thing that matters most is W's. And that is true, but I mean, what would Tyra Taylor have done differently to Herbert to get a win against that Bucks team? Because unless Tyra Taylor was going to go and play in the secondary and go and whack out some pick sixes, I don't think that he would have scored more than 31 points. So in that game, with hindsight, with any sight, I would have still started Herbert over Tyra Taylor. Surely they're going to slip the dock another $50 and just puncture another part of his body. <laughs> Let's not even go there. But I'm still curious on how that story will develop. It's gone a little bit quiet there. I'm sure we're trying to keep it in-house. But let's see what happens with that starting quarterback slot when Tyra Taylor does recover. And either way, we wish him a fast recovery because no player should be put out by something like that. Yeah. And so obviously then Bucks, they're doing well offensively. They're doing well defensively. They're against the Bears, who we've said for a long time were due a loss, and they finally would dealt one. What's your view on the Bears game we've just witnessed against the Colts? The Bears just really, really look poor. And, and I mean, we've had this discussion offline as well, Charles. I'm not a huge fan of Trubisky whatsoever. He's obviously a rival quarterback in the NFC North. He's not a player who I think is elite in any way. He's in the bottom quarter of starting quarterbacks in the league. But with all of that said, I don't think he deserved to be pulled halfway through game three. And it sounds a silly thing to say, really, when Foles comes on, scores 16 points, gets the come-behind win, and looks a hero. But at that point, when Drew Biscay was pulled, the Bears were 2-0. and and all right, they were probably on their way to two and one, but he played very well in those first two games. And I mean, look, Foles came on and played well, but Foles is not the answer to the Spurs team. Foles will not make the Spurs team a contender. He showed really what he's normally about. Let's not forget, Foles was displaced by Gardner Minshew at the Jaguars. Minshew's a perfectly serviceable player. He's doing a good job at the Jaguars, but Minshew's not elite. Foles is not a top draw player. The Bears are not top draw. I've said before on this show that the Buccaneers are one of those teams that when they're playing bad teams, they'll give them a beatdown. And I can see the Buccaneers giving the Bears a good beatdown on Thursday night. The only thing that I would say is I think the Bears' defence held up quite well against the Colts. And I think maybe they'll kind of stop the Bucks running away from it. I don't think there's any danger of the Bears winning this one, but I don't think the Bucks will run away with it. I mean, in my mind, I'd probably say two scores. The challenge I'd put on that, mate, is that the Colts aren't the offense that the Bucks are. And don't worry, I, I don't buy into this hype train about the Bucks, though. But the Colts have lost quite a few skill players over the last few weeks. They lost a couple against the Vikings. They had a couple of injuries before that. They're a slightly depleted team on that side of the ball. The Buccaneers are capable of scoring a lot more than the Colts are. I think that the Colts maybe not being at their full strength made the Bears D look a little bit better than what it is. Okay, so you've got it by a bit more then, I presume? I've got this Bucks by 14. Oh, same as me then. Yeah, we have different definitions of what a beatdown is, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Okay then, so moving on to the 6 o'clock games on the Sunday, we have the Panthers at the Falcons. I mean, these are... Two teams that aren't doing incredibly well. Obviously, the Panthers went and got a win this weekend against the Cardinals, which I think surprised a few people. It certainly ruined my accumulator. But <laughs> aside from that, let's talk about that game. Where do you see that? I'm really getting confused by the Panthers. I had them down as a bad team. 
And I'm just not sure what happened last week. I'm not sure if the Panthers are better than what I thought they were or if the Cardinals just had a really off day. I want to lean towards the latter, but I mean, it's just so hard to back the Falcons in any way for anything. As much as I think the Panthers are bad, the Falcons are doing everything that they possibly can to lose games, it seems. And until this game on the Monday night, I thought that the Falcons were still a team that despite being, you know, on the wrong side of the L, that they could score points and they just weren't scoring against Green Bay last night. And Panthers aren't Green Bay. Panthers are still a fundamentally not great team. So I'm going to say Falcons. I'm going to say Falcons by seven. But if the Falcons let me down this week, this is the last time I'm back in the Falcons this season. <laughs> okay, so I just want to talk briefly about the Panthers and the Cardinals game. I think there's a, a few points that I noted, but I'd also like to get your opinion on something. One thing that I noticed was that I think the Panthers' D is actually starting to click a little bit. And that's something that was missing from earlier on in the season. And I think if they can hold on to that, it will keep them in the game for a little bit longer. Now, in contrast to that, in terms of the Panthers' scoring ability, the Cardinals are missing a bunch of starters in their secondary. And so I think that helped make Bridgewater look better than he is agreed uh, yeah I wanted your opinion on that in terms of Bridgewater looked good in that game I think it was deceiving I wonder what your view on that was and there are a few things that Bridgewater did like he did a kind of long run at one point during the game which like you know working it with your legs that was all him that's not the depletion of the Cardinals D at all playing against a depleted D is going to be even more magnified in this game watching a game on Monday night with the Falcons they were playing a depleted secondary to start with and there was one sequence of plays during I think like the second quarter where a practice squad player who's just activated would come on because there's no one else to play then he'd get injured I mean there are so many injuries in this Falcons secondary that could be the, the factor that does it for the Panthers if they take advantage but like I say I, I fundamentally do think that this Panthers team aren't great if they win this game I'll change my opinion uh, on them like I said I'm just sticking with the Falcons I don't think that the Panthers are a great team. I think you raise a really valid point with the really massively depleted defense of the Falcons and watching them against Green Bay. You know, obviously Green Bay are a good side, they're 4-0, but there were plays there where there were defenders that were just completely losing their coverage. And Yeah, and that's a really good point there because when you look at the highlights and if people haven't watched the highlights of the Falcons-Green Bay game, Look at the highlights of Aaron Rodgers. He didn't have to make a single good throw. No. Every every throw that he made, there wasn't a defender around the receiver for about five yards. Like, he could have literally just done like an alley-oop to any of them and they'd have had it no problem. The Falcons did not defend the pass in any shape or form. No. I've actually got the Panthers by score just because I think defensively they looked a little bit sharper and I think against a Falcon side that just doesn't know who they're marking they could do it does that mean Dan Quinn loses his job if what you're saying comes to pass that is a great question and I think he has to to be honest I think if they go 0-5 then he's got to go I know it's difficult because obviously they've suffered so many injuries so it's not all on the coach but at the same time there's a lot of teams suffering from a lot of injuries at the moment and they're not 0-5 and it's not like this is a new thing either. There's been rot in that Falcons team basically since Super Bowl. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I think as well, it's the games that they've thrown away. You know, even before all of these injuries came in, the Cowboys one was such a choke. We've spoken about that a bunch of times. But these are games that there's there's a fundamental breakdown in how these players are being trained. To not be able to return a kick like that is just, it's laughable. Agreed. Okay, so we've got score either side. Nice, that'll keep it interesting. Right, on to the next game then. We've got the Bengals at the Ravens. Well, Joe Burrow finally got his first win of the season. Played well last week. Quite a high-scoring game, 33-25. But it's always good for a rookie to get that first W under their belt. Bit of a different proposition this week, moving from the Jaguars to the Ravens. The betting markets have a big spread on this. Ravens are minus 13. You know my views on this. I'm a big fan of what Joe Burrow is doing in Cincinnati. I think he's a real talent there. His supporting class just isn't up to scratch, though. I mean, Joe Mixon finally chipped in last week, and Joe Mixon had a big game from scrimmage. It's a game that a lot of Joe Mixon fantasy owners have been waiting for. But that's not enough. That's not enough. And, you know, it's the small things. Drew Sample is not as good as CJ Uzuma. The O-line just still isn't clicking and is still letting Joe Burrow down too much. I think against, you know, a competent side like these Baltimore Ravens, it's going to be a real, real struggle. Yeah, I agree with you. I've got it down Ravens to win by 17. That much? I do. I just think where the Bengals succeeded against the Jags, the Ravens are just going to shut that down. They've got a very good defense, and I just don't think that Burrow is going to have the opportunity to affect the game as much as he has against the Jags. Another thing that I found quite interesting, I don't know if you listened to Burrow being interviewed, but he was talking about how his coach has been helping him to fit into the NFL. And he was saying that basically they run through the week before all the different types of scenarios that the team might find themselves in. And then Zach says, right, in this scenario, what are your three most comfortable plays? And they just pick three of Burroughs' most comfortable plays for every single scenario. And then on the day, they just run it one, two, and three. That's how he calls it. And I think whilst that helps against some of the easier teams, because Burrow is able to play some comfortable plays that he feels he can pull off against the more tricky teams, I think you can't get away with something that simplistic. I'm not sure if it's so much against the tricky teams. I think it's the close games where you have to maybe push yourself a little bit more. And I don't really think this game is going to be close. So I'm not sure if that will be as big a factor. But that'll be interesting when there are closer games further down the season. Definitely something to keep our eyes on. So how many points do you have them winning by then? I'm going to go 10, a little bit more than a score. I can see maybe Burrow making some big plays, keeping the Ravens kind of on their toes. The Ravens kind of let Washington almost keep their noses in it. I mean, it was 31-17, so they won by two scores. Washington aren't a great side. So to only beat them by two scores, I think the Bengals are a little bit better than the Washington football team. Yeah, I think Washington have an oppressive defence, though. And and they did, in fairness to them, force Jackson to make a few mistakes. I'm not sure the Bengals have that in them. True, but I think that the Bengals are capable of scoring more than the uh, Washington football team are. Fair enough. Okay, then. So let's move on to the Jaguars at the Texans. This is, uh, again, two, I would say, not brilliant teams. The Texans have obviously lost their coach. So how do we see this panning out? I think you were a little bit understated there by saying two not brilliant teams. The Texans have been garbage. Well, yeah. They lost their fourth game of the season against the Vikings. Let's get things straight. The Vikings have not been very good at all this season. 
and they made the Vikings look like a quite a good football team. The Jaguars aren't a great football team, but I have the Jaguars winning this one, and I have the Jaguars winning this one by about 10. The Jaguars have been quite effective on the ground. As long as Minshew stays composed, I think that they have enough with that team to deal with the Texans. Yeah, I struggle with this one. I I see this as a bit of a coin toss, but I think ultimately I just don't know how much a new coach can come in and change and they've got real issues there. And as I predicted with the Vikings, Cook just tore them apart. They cannot stop the run and the Jaguars have a good runner in Robinson. So I think that I've only got it by a score, so seven as opposed to 10, but we're, we're around the same mark there. I think the Jaguars will win this game because I just don't think there's enough time for the Texans to, to change how they operate. It's an old kind of adage. It's a old phrase, but you establish a run to win games. And if you can't stop the run in any shape or form, you're always going to be up against it. And like I said, this Texans team cannot stop the run. We said this in week one when Clyde edwards Elaire just cut through them. And, you know, he's an all right player, but he's no Bo Jackson. The Texans made him look like an absolute god because the Texans are just that bad and they've been bad in every single game all the way up to Cook, like you say, slicing through them this week. The concern for this Texans team, if I was a Texans fan, is they've got no first or second round pick next year. It's all well and good being rubbish and tanking, but if you're not getting anything from next year's draft in those early rounds, Texans fans could be going into a real dark period here. They're going to have to get this next coach right. There is talent in this side. There are players there who are good. I mean, you could make a strong case that the Texan squad is fundamentally more skilled and talented than the Jaguars squad is. But that means nothing when you're looking at zero Ws and four Ls. Big problems there. Yes, yeah, a really good point. I'd totally forgotten they'd given those picks away. We could be looking at some wilderness years. Yeah, and I'd agree with you. I think on paper, the Texans probably do have the better skill players, but it's just whatever's happening over there in Texas, it just is not working. So I think it was time for O'Brien to leave. It'll be interesting to see who they bring in eventually. But yeah, I think Jaguars for this game. Yeah, you know, maybe coaching can turn this around because JJ Watt is a pass rusher, but he's a good defensive lineman. He's got the fundamental skill and strength to be able to stop runners. The plays that they're throwing out there, the ways that they're utilizing players is clearly not working. Maybe they just need, you know, a new defensive line coach, a new defensive coordinator, something like that. But until they stop the run, all of this is meaningless because it's just easy for teams to beat them. And it's particularly runs that are going out wide. If you looked at what the Vikings were utilizing on Sunday, every single run play where they could, they were trying to get it out wide. They were doing jet sweeps. They were doing toss sweeps. Any kind of sweep, any kind of crack to get on the edges, they were doing that and it was working. Yeah. So another one of our 6pm games, we've got the Raiders at the Chiefs. How do you see this one, Charles? So yeah, on the podcast last couple of weeks, I've kind of switched my opinion of the Raiders. I've been saying that I think they're a better team than I originally thought they were going into this season. What I notice in their loss to the Bills, though, they are struggling with the pass rush. And actually, outside of the Panthers, they are the team with the lowest amount of sacks in the league. And my concern is, if you do not put pressure on Mahomes the Chiefs can absolutely run away with it. And whilst I believe in the offense that the Raiders have, I'm not yet convinced about their defense and their ability to pass rush. And I 
have a concern that the Chiefs might run away with that. And so I've got the Chiefs by 17. It's quite a big score. It's kind of one of the great ironies of this Raiders team that in order to secure the draft picks that they've had to build this team and kind of get it to where it is now, they had to sacrifice the pass rush, which is now their weakest position in letting Khalil Mack go to the Bears. You're absolutely right. They don't really have a pass rush and it's something that they're definitely going to have to address either in free agency or at the next draft. I don't see the Chiefs winning by that amount though. I think looking at what the Patriots did on Monday night, I think that the stat line slightly flattered Mahomes. The ref saved him at one point. He either fumbled the ball or he threw an interception. Whichever way you want to look at it, he created a turnover there. And the refs blew up the plate way too early. They basically did the Patriots out of what was either a pick six or a fumble return for six. At a pivotal point in the game as well. There are mistakes in Mahomes. And what we're seeing as well is there seems to be parts of a game where he disappears. But especially when you look at the Chargers game and definitely for portions of the Patriots game, there's just times where this Kansas City O just doesn't really click. There were signs of it last season as well. I mean, like, look how many times they had to come from behind to win games. It's not very often that they put four quarters together and just blow out teams. So I think there's going to be opportunity for the Raiders to stop the Kansas City offense, and there's going to be chances for the Raiders to score. With all that said, I'm not going to bet against the Chiefs. They're still going to win. But I think 17 is a little bit too rich for my taking. I'm going to say Chiefs, so I'm going to say Chiefs by seven. Wow, that's, I think, relatively close. I'd agree with your point when you're talking about the Chargers. I think that was a surprising game, how the Chargers held the Chiefs to overtime. I think it's maybe not a fair comparison against New England. And actually, I think if Cam played that game there's a very real chance that New England would have won it. I think so. Yeah, and I think the reason behind that was, once again, Bill Belichick and his defensive plays. He ran some plays that confused the hell out of Mahomes. And to your point, he made mistakes. But I think that was Pat's very good defense rather than Mahomes stumbling. And I don't think that the Raiders have it in them to deliver what the Pats did. There's two plays that I'm going to refer to here. There's the play that I just mentioned where Mahomes fumbled through an interception, whatever you want to call it, because he held on to the ball for far too long. He held on to the ball like a Mayfield rookie, and that was on Mahomes' shoulders. The second one was when he threw a ball into not one, not two, but three Patriots defensive backs. He was extremely lucky not to get intercepted there. So, Really, that stat line at the end of the game could have ended up with Mahomes with two interceptions on it, which for some quarterbacks is average, but for Mahomes, you know, that's quite something. Yeah, Patriots were calling great plays. If people go and watch the highlights here, go and watch what they were doing to Travis Kelsey all through the game. The linebackers were just bumping him every time. Every time he was trying to get off the line, he was getting bumped. It must have been such a frustrating game for Kelsey. He just wasn't getting into any rhythm at all. But this is the dark hearts of a game that Belichick just knows what he's doing. I've got the Chiefs winning this one, but Mahomes isn't super Mahomes 100% of the time. And that should be encouragement enough for teams that do play against the Chiefs. So moving on to the next one. We've mentioned this team earlier, the Cardinals. The Cardinals are at MetLife Stadium playing the Jets. Yeah, so as I said, Cardinals, they're missing a few members of the secondary, which is meaning that teams can score on them. They funnily enough, haven't been clicking offensively recently, which does seem a bit strange. 
but against this Jets team, I was the fool last week, Joe. You warned me. You said you'd never bat the Jets again. I went, oh, against the Broncos. They're a very depleted side. Maybe the Jets can do it. They disappoint time and time again. Even I can't bat the Jets on this one. I think the Cardinals have a bounce back game and I think the Cardinals win by two scores. I don't even really want to talk about this one too much. I don't disagree with you at all. I see this as being a Cardinals bounce back. There's just nothing really to talk about here to give us any other view. The Jets haven't shown us anything so far. The only maybe small light at the end of a very long tunnel is that Bell might be returning from IR. So they're getting a good offensive player back there. But I mean, you could be peak 2017 Bell here and you're not going to do anything about this. At this stage, I think probably the biggest story with the Jets is, are they going to be getting Trevor Lawrence next year? But even that is tinged with sadness because you know that you're going to ruin him because of the type of team you are. (laughs) Cardinals by 24. No, you're not. I'm going Cardinals by 24. Okay, well... Do you know what? Defences are shattered across the league. We could see it. I mean, these there's a lot of high-scoring games out there, so we could see it. But yeah, that's the boldest call we've had so far on the podcast. <laughs> the uh, spread on this one is only seven, so I think I'm going to definitely be hitting up the <laughs> over <laughs> when I put my bets in this week. Nice. So next one we have, we have the Eagles fresh off their first win of the season against the Steelers. Joe, honestly... I listened to Wentz at the end of the game and he just really annoyed me. He was there going, yeah, it's so tough when you've got a bunch of players injured, but we really came together this week and we overcame adversity. Mate, you were playing the 49ers, who are the most injured team in the game. Get real. The most beaten up team in the game, exactly. Got nothing to shout out there at all, Wentz. Mullins and Beffard, they didn't have good games between them. I mean, Mullins got pulled halfway through the game. The Eagles were playing a shell, a husk of the 49ers, and they struggled to beat them. This is not a good Eagles side whatsoever, and... Unless they're playing the Jets, I've not got much faith in them winning many games at all. I think the Steelers, you know, fresh off their enforced by, they're going to be fresh, they're going to be rearing to go. I think the Steelers might put some points on this week. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I, I just think when a team is bringing on their third choice quarterback, you know, you should expect to win. And you should expect to win by probably more than five, exactly, when they're bringing on their third choice quarterback. When their first choice running back is out, when their pass rushes are out. I mean, you've got everything going for you. So in my eyes, for some reason, I've only got Steelers by 10. And I don't know what it is, but there's just a feeling in me that goes, the Steelers have had a week off. Does that help? Does it hinder? I think the Eagles are feeling a bit boisterous about themselves. I think the Steelers will win for sure, but I've just got it by 10. Yeah, I've got it by 10 as well, but I'd caveat that by if 10 was the over-under, I'd bet the over. Yeah, yeah, fair. I think that's uh, that's a good shout. Okay, next game, Bills at the Titans. Man, Josh Allen, you'd never know the guy had accuracy issues. Yeah. He was throwing laser passes to short wide receivers like Cole Beasley in double coverage, like pinpoint accuracy. He is just really walking on clouds at the moment. I can't figure out whether he has improved and we're now looking at the new Josh Allen or whether the bubble's going to pop. 
And the Titans are going to be a good team to discover whether that's the reality or not. I think this could be a week that the Bills lose, could be. But I think based on previous performance, I'm going for Bills by seven. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, I bet against the Bills last week and I was wrong. You got two undefeated teams going together here. I think there's, you know, there's a side story a little bit. Titans have had all the COVID-19 issues over the last couple of weeks. They've obviously had practice disrupted. They're working remotely. You've got all of this kind of going on, which is a distraction. It's certainly not helping them in any ways. Bills, meanwhile, have got momentum behind them. Got Josh Allen playing the best football, not only of his NFL career, but of his life. I still see the Bills marching through this one. So I'm going to go Bills. I'm going to go Bills by seven. I'm not going to go excessive here, but Bills by seven. Yes, I think we've got the same score on that. How do you think the Titans are going to be coming into this? Because obviously they've had a whole week where they've not been able to practice together as a team in their facility. There have been a number of players and staff members that have been diagnosed with COVID, I think up to 10. We don't know which players they are. So we don't know what Titans team the Bills are facing. Yeah, it's not really come out which players have been affected. There are still more players affected this week. So let's get things straight. There's still a potential risk that this game doesn't happen. And then that would really throw the catamounts of the pigeons at that point. If you're Sean McDermott, you're going to be looking at, you know, just causing confusion in the offensive plays that you're doing. Lots of players moving out of line, creating mismatches, just mixing the team up because they're not going to be a well-drilled team. When you've missed that many practices, you're going to be rusty. And I think that the first couple of drives, the Bills can really set the tone here. It's going to be a tough day for the Titans. I just don't see this being anything but tough for the Titans. Yeah, so I suppose that's the caveat we have to put on this prediction is it depends what players are, are missing out. So I, if they're missing a quarterback and they're missing Derek Henry and they're missing Brown, then I'd expect it's probably going to be a much bigger differential than seven. Agreed. So then on to our last six o'clock game, we have the LA Rams at Washington. So the Rams... <sighs> Having watched them play that Giants game, which has probably been the worst game I've watched this season. It was really, really dire. This Rams team are not good offensively. After about four games, you can start to work out where teams are. After four games, I've not been impressed with this Rams O at all. They struggled to score against the Cowboys. And we thought first game that the Cowboys were going to be quite good. So when they didn't get many points against the Cowboys, we thought, oh yeah, well that's because the Cowboys are a good side. No, as we've seen since then, the Cowboys' D is just trash. So the Rams should have scored more points against them. The Rams' O is bad. The Washington D is good. But the Rams' D are good. And the Washington's O is bad. It's one of these kind of games where you've got kind of two opposing magnets against each other. And I see this really being a low-scoring game. Probably similar to last week when the Rams played the Giants where, you know, you just don't know where the points are coming from. I'm going to go on a limb here a little bit. I'm going to say Washington. I'm going to say Washington, which I thought I wouldn't really back them at all this season. Just looking at the struggles Goff had and how bad Goff looked. These do win games, but you still need to score a few points. And unless there's fumbles galore from Dwayne Haskins and it's pick six city. Do you think Haskins starts? Because he had an appalling game. I appreciate it was against the Ravens. I think that Haskins starts, but I don't think that the leash could be any shorter, if that makes sense. It's certainly not unfeasible for him to get hooked halfway through this game. Rivera has made it clear that he's not his man. He's not his man in any way at all. If Haskins does play atrocious, 
if he fumbles, if he throws interceptions, then yeah, the Rams. But if he doesn't do that, and he's got to not do that at some point, then Washington. And I'm going to say Washington. I'm going to say Washington by three. Shortest of margins. Okay. I don't think he even needs to have to do that. Looking at his game against the Ravens, he had 11 third and fourth down passes. And of those, only three of them traveled beyond the first down marker. (laughs) Yeah. That's terrible. That's terrible. Isn't it? Yeah. So I think unless they pull him, I've got the Rams on this one, but I do agree with you. I think looking at their recent game against the Giants, the only redeeming feature of the Rams O was Cup. I've got the Rams by 10, but I think that's if Haskins starts. If he gets replaced, maybe a different quarterback has a bit of luck. Sometimes that can happen. But yeah, I think the Rams should win this because their D is solid. And I think Washington will struggle to get those points. Okay, great. Let's move on to the first non-6pm game on Sunday. The 9.05 game, Dolphins at the 49ers. So, I mean, again, the Dolphins didn't have a terrible game. And, you know, I think you mentioned it, if it wasn't last week, it was the week before where you said the Dolphins aren't awful. Yes, they're one of the lesser teams in the league, but they're not as bad as people think they are. They're certainly not as bad as they were last season. 49ers are shot to pieces. We saw them struggle against the Eagles. So do you know what? I think this is one that the Dolphins could pull off. And I don't think it would be a massive score, but I think maybe seven points. The Dolphins might be the 49ers. Now, if we went back four weeks and you said that your prudo was for the Dolphins to beat the 49ers, what would you have said then? (laughs) I'd have called you crazy. Basically, both of the games from last week have changed my view of these teams slightly. The Dolphins aren't a terrible side, but they really gave it a good game against the Seahawks. And right now, after four games, a quarter of a season, in my eyes, there's only two teams that are going to win the NFC Conference. It's either going to be the Packers or it's going to be the Seahawks. I think by far and away, those two teams are the best two teams in the NFC. And it's not, you know... The 49ers have been ravaged by injury. But after they played last week, when they don't have Jimmy G out there, when he's not there, things really start to fall apart a little bit. So if Jimmy G is back, if Jimmy G starts, I think they'll have enough to beat the Dolphins team. If Jimmy G's still out and it's a high ankle sprain, I mean, the timeline for that can be a long time. It can be six, can be eight weeks. But if he doesn't start and the Dolphins play like they did against the Seahawks, then the Dolphins will go very, very close against this 49ers team, especially if they play like they did against the Eagles. I'm going to go 49ers by seven. But if Jimmy G doesn't start, I think I'm going to be wrong. Yeah, I, I think that's a very fair assessment. And what about, because I know when you started the season, you thought Tua would come in probably around game four. Do you think that the recent performance by the Dolphins is going to be enough to hold him off? Yeah, he's going to be held off for the moment. But I think the leash is still pretty short. It's only going to take one and a half bad games from uh, Fitzpatrick to change things. People have a very short memory and memories are made shorter when you have a player like two on a bench who are fans are just waiting to see. So, you know, he played very well against the Seahawks. The the whole of the Dolphins played well against the Seahawks because the Seahawks are a very good team. That could soon be forgotten. They could play this 49ers team who are going to be smarting after losing to the Eagles. 49ers could potentially take them apart play bad again the week after and suddenly Fitzpatrick's benched. 
Not saying it will happen, but that's how these things can happen. So yeah, it's it's not going to happen week five, but it could still happen as soon as week seven or eight. Okay, then let's move on to the Broncos at the Patriots. One thing I want to talk about on the Patriots. This is why the Patriots win. This is why the Patriots are always going to be up there. If you look at all of the guards in the National Football League right now, the second highest rated guard by their PFF grade in the whole league is Michael Wenyu, a sixth round pick by the Patriots, currently has a rating of 92.2. The guy's been playing out his skin. He wasn't even supposed to start, but with Shaq Mason getting injured, he's um, had to come in and he's stepping up and playing better than Shaq Mason was. Michael Wenyu, sixth round pick when there's so many teams who are scratching for guards. Like, I mean, the Vikings are absolutely depleted there. The Patriots know what they're doing as an organization and if you want to see high-quality guard play, which I know a lot of listeners probably don't because I know a lot of listeners probably couldn't care less, but if you do, go and watch Michael and Wenyu, number 71, against the Chiefs. The blocking was out of this world. Great talent there, and he's going to have a long, successful career in the NFL. Awesome. So I assume you're going for the Patriots then? <laughs> yeah, I'm going for the Patriots. I think you'd have to be mad not to against the Broncos, especially. I think even if Cam remained out, I still think Patriots would have this one. Yeah, and Broncos won last week, but it was a jet, so it means nothing. Yeah, exactly. And they didn't look impressive doing it. They didn't look impressive doing it, no. I mean, Fox know how to ruin a football game, don't they? Every Thursday night game. Oh, my God. Jags and Dolphins, Jets and Broncos. They've been absolute stinkers absolute stinkers if you are trying to pick the worst fixture every week they've clearly tried pretty hard Buccaneers Bears is probably the marquee one so far <laughs> and that's saying something yeah look Patriots winning this I think that the Patriots will run the ball a little bit more than they did last week but they'll be able to run the ball a little bit more because the Broncos just won't put up points against them the same way that the Chiefs did Patriots by 14 yeah I have the Patriots by 17 so there are thereabouts that means the Broncos are going to win. <laughs> so then we have Colts versus the Browns. What do you think about that one? I think oh, this is going to be tight. It's a hard one, really, because I don't know what to make of the Browns right now. They play well. They play bad. They score 50 points on the Cowboys. They concede 40 points to the Cowboys. Who doesn't score 50 points on the Cowboys? True, true. What are this Browns team? I think fundamentally this Browns team is still an 8-8 team. And until they string consecutive good performances week in, week out, I'm going to hold that opinion. I don't believe really the Colts are playing particularly well right now. They're not as strong as I thought they were at the start of the season. But I'm going to go Colts on this one. I'm going to go Colts by seven. I've also got Colts by seven and I will tell you why. Hit me. Defence for the Colts. They are the first ranked team in points per game. They are the first ranked team in passing yards per game. They are the first ranked team in total yards per game. And they're the fourth in rushing yards per game. You know, we spoke about the Colts D being sneaky good at the beginning of the season. It's not sneaky anymore. It's clicking, right? It's there. Yeah, yeah. The only thing I would say is so far they've played the Jags, the Jets, the Vikings and the Bears. I know a lot of people say strength of schedule, it's not always something you should put too much stock in. But up next, they've got the Browns, the Bengals, the Lions. Like, when are they playing 
a legitimately hard team. Yeah, and it's feasible for them to have a very, very strong record going into the later part of the season and being in the driving seat. But then possibly getting found out because they haven't had to learn those hard lessons against particularly tough opponents. But then equally, when you've got that momentum and just the... The confidence. Yeah, the uh, confidence that you're a good team. That can sometimes paper over some of those cracks. can also make it even harder when it comes crashing down. But, you know, you've got to ride the bus while it's while it's riding fast. Colts win this, yeah. And look, the Browns last week, Odell Beckham Jr. for some reason seems to love playing against the Cowboys. Odell Beckham Jr. in eight games against the Cowboys has scored eight touchdowns. He's had something like 558 yards against them. For whatever reason, when ODB plays the Cowboys, he absolutely eats. You know, he's not going to have games like that every week. And a big part of Cleveland's success last week was ODB. Even if he goes back to just being his good self, it's going to take a huge dent out of his scoring potential. And with Chubb being away as well, I mean, that's going to factor. I mean, Kareem Hunt's a good player, but Chubb is elite. He's a leading running back in the NFL. He's a big loss. Look, I think the Stefanski offense is starting to take place. I think the Browns are improving and I think they will be an okay team. But I agree with you, they're probably an 8-8. Eight eight. The Colts, as you mentioned, they're not totally there on offense yet, but I think their defense is going to win them this and that's why I think it'll just be a seven-point score to the Colts. Yeah, and right, so the next game, Giants at Cowboys. I want to talk about this. It's stuff I want to talk about here. Cowboys have started the season one and three. Do you know how many times they started one and three when Jason Garrett was head coach? Oh dear, go on, enlighten us. Zero? Not once. Yeah. Under Jason Garrett, they always started better than one and three. But So you might be thinking as a Cowboys fan, hey, maybe, maybe I want Garrett back. Well, Garrett, he's at the Giants who the Cowboys happen to be playing this week. The Giants, I've already mentioned, were atrocious against the Rams last week. Garrett is the offensive coordinator for the Giants right now. There was a play the Giants ran last week, which was a pass play. It was a designed pass play, and not one receiver ran a route. Every single receiver blocked because they didn't know what they were doing. And so Daniel Jones had literally no one to throw the ball to because no one was looking to get passed to on a passing play. And Daniel Jones ate a sack. So before Cowboy fans start thinking, hey, maybe we should get Jason Garrett back, I wouldn't say that just yet. I remember when we were talking about Mike McCarthy coming into this Cowboys team and I said, you know, they, the Cowboys were probably looking to do what the Chiefs did with Andy Reid. But part of my concern with Mike's approach is that he wasn't as dynamic as Reid. And I thought it might take a little bit of time for change to take effect. I think he's tried to prove me wrong and in doing so made a terrible, terrible mistake. The man is trying to be too dynamic and his defense is suffering as a result of it. He's coming out saying, oh, we're not going to be a one-call defense team. They can't figure out if they're a 4-3, if they're a 3-4. The defense doesn't have a goddamn clue what's going on. In point after touchdowns, now I have seen some trick plays where a team thinks that a team is kicking a point after touchdown and the kicker throws the ball and they get two points out of it. Trick play. We've all seen that. It happens. But never ever have I seen a team attempt a point after touchdown kick conversion and the defense managed to defend that into a two-point conversion for the offense because that's how bad the Cowboys D were 
they literally defended a point after touchdown into a two-point conversion. I thought after that Falcons play against the Cowboys that I wouldn't see a worse play this season. We might have just seen that in that Cowboys game. <laughs> I mean, it's amazing how many defences are just absolutely falling apart. But yeah, that was sensational. I feel a bit smug because I called the Browns over the Cowboys when I don't think a lot of people had it that way. But this Cowboys team look bad because of the defense. The defense is making them look awful. I think even with a bad defense, I do not expect them to lose to the Giants. I just don't think that's one they can lose. And actually, because their offense does know how to score, I've got this by 17 points to the Cowboys. Yeah, I think there's only probably two offenses in the league that will make the Cowboys D look like an acceptable D. And they're both teams that play in New Jersey. So yeah, I've got the Cowboys winning this. <laughs> I think that they're going to put points up against this because the Giants really were atrocious against the Rams last week. I mean, that was a terrible game. Cowboys by 21. Yeah, they will put points up. So moving on to our last game of the Sunday, we have the Vikings at the Seahawks, Joe. You looking forward to that game? Uh, well... I'm going to be on TV for this game, so looking forward to it a little bit. <laughs> of course you are, yeah. Yeah, so for those who don't know, uh, I'm involved in the uh, UK Vikings fan club. Great fan club, best UK fans in the league. And at the start of the season, we recorded a Zoom call. And that Zoom call was for NBC. And we're going to be, uh, when they flash to the fans, celebrating scores. The only concern I have is whether the Vikings will be able to score against the Seahawks team and whether I'll be able to get on TV. So there's a risk that it's all going to be in vain. I said to you just before we started this show, Chaz, that I wanted to talk about guards this week. So I've already talked up one guard who I really like, and that's Michael and when you at the Patriots. I want to go the opposite end of a scale here, and this is going to demonstrate to you the issue the Vikings have got and probably why the Vikings will lose to the Seahawks on Sunday night. Now, Drew Samia is the starting right guard for the Vikings currently after the original starter, Pat Elfline, got injured. I think Pat Elfline did something to his thumb, got put on IR, and he's missing a lot of games for it. And Drew Samia was drafted in 2019, and the words you kept on hearing about him when they drafted him in round four were that he's a mauler, he's an aggressive player. And I think he kind of got away with that at college, in the kind of smaller pond. He played aggressive, he played bigger than his size, and it managed to get him drafted in the fourth round. Drew Samia this season has given up pressures to the quarterback on 16.7% of the snaps he's played. To put this into context for you, when Aaron Donald plays, he pressures the quarterback 14.9% of the snaps that he plays. So basically, when you do the math here, Drew Samia is making every defensive tackle he plays look better than Aaron Donald. Wow. Drew Samia is that bad that it doesn't matter who you are, if you line up against him, you're better than Aaron Donald. That is a phenomenal stat. And so every single snap the Vikings are playing, they're playing as if Aaron Donald basically is in the D-line because that's the pressure that's been generated on Kirk Cousins because Drew Samia is absolute garbage. When you look at how he's graded, he is graded literally the bottom of all qualifying guards in the National Football League. Not just that, 
He's also graded the bottom of all guards who don't qualify. So even if you're just a practice squad guard who's come on for a couple of snaps at the end of the game, or they've thrown you in because a player's got injured and you don't know what you're doing, you are still not as bad as Drew Samia. Drew Samia's pass blocking rating is 19.7. I mean, it's abysmal. Drew Samia just stinks so much. He shouldn't be in the National Football League. The Vikings will just do well to cut him as soon as possible. And it's just making the decision to let Josh Klein go at the start of the season just even more mind-blowing. No matter how Dalvin Cook plays, no matter how Justin Jefferson and Adam Phelan and if Kirk Cousins is having a good night, you're dealing with problems like this. And these are the holes that are in this Vikings team. The Seahawks, I've already said, it's them or the Packers to win the NFC. As much as I'd love the Vikings to get a second win, it's going to be Seahawks. And it's going to be Seahawks quite comfortably. Seahawks by 11. Yeah, I've got Seahawks by 14. I think Wilson's going to have a very fun time playing. And I think Carson's probably going to have a a good fantasy game as well. Uh, The only hope that I have that keeps this game even remotely close is Kirk Cousins shows up. Or, you know, Dalvin Cook has an absolute stormer. But it always feels like a bit of potluck with those two whether the offense can come out and offset the dread that the defense puts out there. Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf are really looking on form and the Vikings defensive backs aren't just inexperienced, but also depleted right now. There's a lot of injuries there. I think Mike Hughes was injured for the last game. They're as thin as it gets, really. And I think that Metcalf and Lockett are just going to have big days. Yeah. So then that brings us on to our final game of the week, which is the Chargers at the Saints. Now, the Saints, I was tempted to call that upset with the Lions and the Saints, but I backed the Saints in the end and it was seemingly the right call, but they didn't half make it hard for themselves, did they? They made it hard for themselves. I mean, they had a very bad first quarter and then after that, the Lions just seemed to fade away. Which is an absolute classic case of the Lions. That's what they've done pretty much all season is looked actually quite impressive in the first half of games and then just taking their foot off the gas or run out of steam yeah and what's really strange is like they've really built that reputation this season I think this might kind of be a little bit before you got into the league Charles but back in 2014 I think the Lions set the record for the most fourth quarter comebacks so they were literally like the opposite once again it just shows how uh, cyclical the nature of NFL teams are but yeah look quarters two three and four the Lions pretty bad Saints the limitations of this Saints team are quite clear and they're glaringly obvious when Michael Thomas isn't on the field. Michael Thomas will probably be coming back this week and that will be a very, very welcome return for Drew Brees. But look, Justin Herbert played well against the Kansas City Chiefs. He played well against a big team in a big game. It took Joe Burrow four games to get his first W. This is going to be Herbert's fourth game. I'm taking a bit of a flyer on this one and... You know, I think if you really broke down the stats, it's hard to go against the Saints. But I see something in Herbert. I think that a performance will come. I think that some big scores will come. And I think it's going to be this game. I'm going to go Chargers and I'm going to go Chargers by three. I think for me, I just don't trust the Chargers defense. And I think, yeah, the offense will score a fair bit. But I think if Thomas is in, then the Saints won't or shouldn't struggle too much. I think if... Thomas is out then I still expect Kamara to do the damage against the Chargers either way so for me I've got the Saints between 7 and 14 so let's call it 10 
just because the Chargers defense isn't up to scratch. But I think this game hopefully will be quite interesting and will be quite back and forth because I think they're both offenses that can score, but their defense for both teams isn't there. And I think that the Saints are going to have to rely on the running game because Breeze has been absolutely found out in the passing game without Thomas. Agreed. The over-under for this is 51. It's going to be definitely one that I'm betting the over on. Nice. Right, well then, that leaves us with our final segment, which is always the fantasy pick of the week. I'm wondering if we need to change this at some point, Joe. I feel like it should be player who will play of the week. (laughs) We're 50% for like our picks of the week, whether they even show up or not. Yeah, uh, like I kind of got my pick right about Juju in week one, and then since then I've just picked players who got injured, so I can't be wrong again. It's a cunning tactic. <laughs> it's worked tremendously well for you. But who have you got? I am going for Christian Kirk. Okay, explain why. I said earlier that I think that the Cardinals will put points up this week. I think that because of them losing last week, they're going to want to keep their foot on the neck. Even when they've won games, they haven't then just turned into let's grind the game out, let's rush. They seem to like to throw the ball all the way through the game. I think they're going to score points. I think they're going to put points on. I think they're going to be angry after last week. If you are trying to prevent that, you're going to put your resources on DeAndre Hopkins. So the Jets, you know, can put their best cornerback, whoever that isn't, on Hopkins. And I think that Kirk will get a lot of opportunities. Okay, interesting. But do you think the Jets will be able to stop Hopkins enough for Murray to turn to? It's more a case of when Colin Murray is making his reads, and he's just making his reads, I think that there'll be players in the vicinity of Hopkins. And I'm saying in the vicinity because this is the Jets. They won't really be covering him, but the coach would have said, go go on that side of the field because Hopkins is there. And so they'll, so they'll be around or about. Kirk will probably draw less double coverage than Hopkins will. And so when Colin Murray is making his reads and working out which player is the best bet to throw the ball to, it'll probably be Kirk relatively often. You know, the Jets don't have any depth in the secondary whatsoever. Uh, They gave up their safety at the start of the season, like we know. I think this is a game for the Cardinals wide receivers to really get some paid up. And, And, you know, it's feasible that all the way down to Larry Fitzgerald can have some big games. But I've got to pick one, so I'm going Kirk. And I'm saying Christian Kirk, big game. He's due one against the Jets. Well, my pick of the week, I'm re-returning, Joe. Re-returning? Yeah, we've talked about how bad this Texans team is, especially against the run. So I've got to go back to the only runner that's done me good in the past. And I'm going for James Robinson with the Jags. I think that there's a potential there to put up big numbers, especially if they're still in disarray from having lost their coach. It's fair. Like, it almost feels like a... A cheat, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's kind of a cheat code. I totally don't disagree at all. When I was looking through it, I was like, oh, this feels a bit scummy. One, because I'm going back to someone I picked before. (laughs) But two, because I'm picking someone that's playing against an 0-4 team. (laughs) It's a scummy move going against the Texans, D. But then again, it's a scummy move going against the Jets as well. So I'm not exactly (laughs) innocent here. Listen, Joe, we're not proud boys. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think that brings us nicely to the end of this week's show. Hopefully, all the games will play this week and we'll get no more injuries, but let's wait and see. It was a good week this week for a few little upsets and there were a few dreadful games, but let's see what this week brings. 
it's never boring in the NFL. And just a reminder, if you want to take a look at any of our predictions, uh, just while you're watching the game, if you want to chime in with anything, you can go to our website. We've got it all down there at playsheetpodcast.com. And you can follow us on all the usual channels, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. We'd love to hear from you.